So when I started playing Spoken, I did it in an effort to spread information that's helpful to churches that feel isolated and kind of taken advantage of by the institution of the United Methodist Church. Longview, I'm aiming at um, hopefully creating uh, a new sense of shared identity around what it means to be Methodist, but the the particular challenge before us right now is just how to navigate the, the real issues at play as um, an institution that was designed to honor the heritage of John Wesley and, and praising uh, Christ Jesus in the world. It really seems to be co-opted, and uh, the musculature that was developed over the course of decades or centuries now being leveled at local churches. And so uh, First United Methodist Church of Oklahoma City a few weeks ago filed against the Oklahoma Annual Conference, and of course that's a big decision. It's kind of a, a dramatic and serious decision. Not that uh, it was any less dramatic and serious for any given church to start the disaffiliation process, but it's definitely a a route that a lot of churches have not wanted to go. It's fraught for a number of different reasons, and I I could have done my own private report on it, but I kind of wanted to do an interview with someone at the church. So what you're about to watch is an interview with a gentleman named Hardy Patton that I sat down and did uh, yesterday. And I, I hope you find it helpful. My my hope as as we go through this is is that um, people who watch it can kind of have a, a portrait of what one church looks like as it went through the disaffiliation process and the kind of partner it found itself dealing with in the Oklahoma Annual Conference. Of course, every conference is different in different ways. However, I'm of the mind that there are certain incentive structures across the denomination that apply in every annual conference, or, or most of them. Um, so a lot of it depends on the personalities that you have in your conference, um, you know, the, the, the moral rectitude of filing charges against an unjust conference above you. That's something that every church has to navigate on its own. I've, I've tried not to speak with any clarity as to the morals of, of that particular situation because I don't have clarity on it. So if I've given you another impression, I'm sorry. But my my main thing is just having helping having people making informed decisions. So if this is something that your church or another church you're aware of is is looking at, then I do hope this interview is helpful to you. We don't get into the mechanics and the paperwork as much as a lot of people probably would have us do. Rather, this is just telling the story of, of one congregation. So if that's helpful to you, uh, enjoy. If it's not helpful to you, then um, I, I'm okay with that too. But um, continue staying tuned to what we're doing here on this channel because I, I do want to be helpful if I can. So, all right, enjoy the interview. All right, I'm with Hardy Patton. Hey, Hardy, thanks for joining me today. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks for, for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, TJ and I came and you gave us a tour around the building. Yep. We'll hopefully have some B-roll that we show everybody. It's a beautiful facility. We're sitting in the sanctuary right now, and uh, I look forward to, to what you have to, to say and, and reveal today. I, I think I know a good deal already, but there are a lot of particulars I've been curious about pertaining to what's going on here. Yeah. Um, just so, so I and everybody else know, uh, your name's Hardy Patton. How, it is, how is it that you are tied to this church? In what capacity are you speaking? Okay, currently I'm on the, the board of trustees as a member. I'm the vice chair of uh, the trustees here. I've been involved with First Church for over 25 years. So my, my first Sunday in this uh, facility was the Sunday, or actually the, I think it was the Thursday before 
the federal building bombing. I came to really? Loaves and Fishes. That was my first time in the building. So I got to come here once before the, the tragedy happened. Uh, and then my wife and I joined officially in 1997. Okay. So you've been members, you've been consistently involved that whole time. You're yeah. part of the lifeblood of this church now for 25 years. Yeah. Um, so the, you already made an allusion to a big event in the life of this community, which was sure. the, the Murrah Federal Building bombing. Tell us uh, about that and then um, tell us about the history of the church since then. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, April 19th, 1995 was a pretty tragic day for not only Oklahoma City, but this church as well. Mm -hmm. uh, the building was damaged to the point that it couldn't be used for three years. So mm -hmm. we, were, we were out and forced to go to a different location. Trinity Baptist up on 23rd Street welcomed us in. So we're very appreciative of that. Um, and then this building had to be made structurally sound. That's mainly the, the south side, which is kind of the old historic part of the building. Mm -hmm. uh, the old sanctuary was turned into what is now Harris Hall, where we have our kitchen and, and uh, the Christ Experience meets there on a weekly basis. And then... The Christ <coughs> Experience is another United, another Methodist, United Methodist Church. Another United Methodist Church, yeah, that, that's kind of here right now. So, and then this building that we're in, the new sanctuary, was built and opened up in 1998. So I was a part of that uh, church walk if you will. We had a prayer walk from Trinity all the way here in 1998 to this facility when it reopened, followed by a worship service led by uh, Pastor Nick Harris. So I got to participate in that. I remember it very clearly because my wife was pretty pregnant at the time, and that was a long walk for her. Uh, I think our, our son was born about a week later in 1998, so that was 25 years ago. Is that the son that was just married last son year? son that was just married recently. Yeah. Okay. So we're excited to to have Sylvia now as part of our family. So. Wonderful, daughter-in-law. Yeah. So, so you've raised kids in this church. Uh, you would yeah. now, you're now retired and you're taking care of the legacy of this church. Um, of course, this interview is taking place because the Oklahoma Annual Conference has made motions towards this church indicating that uh, they could hypothetically have in mind um, not to let this church disaffiliate. What, what are the things that have happened mm -hmm. over the last couple of decades that helped this church community here at First Church get clear that that it wasn't a good fit with the United Methodist denomination and to pursue disaffiliation in the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, we've been a very always been a very traditional, conservative-minded church, and we started here in 1889 during the land run. Mm -hmm. uh, arrived in April and established this little corner, if you will, and the um, I think we started with 17 charter members. And we were very very viable active church with 17 members back then the cornerstone to the building was actually laid in i think it was january of 1904 and you can actually see the cornerstone if you walk down to the southwest corner mm -hmm. of the building um, since that time you know we've just been in, uh, in, an integral part of the community we've been through two pandemics we've been through multiple world wars uh, we've been through the boom and bust of the oil business and we've stood shoulder to shoulder with our community since that time. Uh, the, the, the flight to the suburbs that a lot of churches did, mm -hmm. you know, we had to assess all that after the federal building bombing that we talked about. And we made the decision back then that we wanted to stay in downtown and be a part of this downtown community. And we had a, a banner that says, our God reigns and we will remain. Mm. And uh, we put it out on the outside of the church. And that was just kind of our statement to the community that we weren't going anywhere. Yeah, so you, you are plugged in to the community. 
and um, we'll, we'll get into the particulars of what's transpired with, with the conference, but one of the things that's very relevant in the conversation right now is they, they want to talk about this church's viability. And so one of the things that, <clears throat> that I'm sure they look at and a lot of people look at is how plugged in you are into the neighborhood and, and stuff around. We noticed as we came in today yeah. that uh, YMCA kids are all in here. They're here sure. five days a week. You have a contract with the YMCA. What other, um, uh, maybe you can do it all in one breath or not. How, how many other cooperation, cooperative efforts do you have with people in the area? Yeah, we have a lot of activity that takes place at this church. And I'll, I'll pause there and say that they've asked for a viability study, but if you look at 2553, it doesn't even uh, specifically allow for that. Sure. So, but going back to viability, uh, we think that's a disingenuous effort on their part to attack that particular feature because we do have so much activity going on at the church. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned the YMCA, I think we have 40 plus kids that are here Monday through Friday uh, throughout the course of the summer and that's been an ongoing relationship with the Y for mm -hmm. a number of years. So if you come early in the morning, you'll see the parents dropping off the kids and picking them up in the afternoon. Uh, we have an ongoing relationship with St. Luke's where we have a partnership and a daycare. It's called First Kids. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, we've had it for, for a number of years now. I'm trying to remember how many years ago since St. Luke's, was which was United Methodist and yes. disaffiliated in March. Yeah, yeah. So we have a good partnership with or them. May. I don't remember what month it was, but they've I think officially it was May. Yeah. Yeah. And so a great working relationship with them. Uh, I think we have during the summer about 70 kids in that facility, mm. maybe a little less during the fall. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's a, just a place where parents can, that are working downtown can drop off their kids and that happens every day. So we'd hate to see anything happen with regard to that particular mm -hmm. ministry. Uh, we have ongoing relationships with Exodus House. I don't know if you're familiar. Exodus House, yeah, this is um, people getting out of prison usually yep. uh, who, who need uh, to be equipped for, for real life. They have a, a great, um, a very low recidivism rate. They do, um, In yes. contrast to a lot of programs. So they, they're uh, I, I used to read their newsletter more faithfully than I do now, but a very good program. Yeah, they're close by. They're just north of 23rd Street, and uh, we've been partnering with them for a number of years. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the ways that we're engaged is we provide food to them on, I think, the second and fourth Tuesday of the month to their, someone from our church will take over food for the, a group of people there, whether it's 12, 15, or 20 people, whatever they have that particular week. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and. You know, we've tried to engage with them in other ways. Sure. Uh, we've had a cooking class for some of the folks that are there. They're usually there for about six months. Okay, yeah. And then Exodus House tries to help them get established, have a place to live, have a job. Uh, but in that interim period, they do ministry effort and training for them. And we've tried to be a part of that by having cooking classes for their, for their, uh, their folks. Uh, I led a financial training event over at Exodus House. What was the curriculum you used, just out of curiosity? So I use the Dave Ramsey material oh, okay, sure. at the time. Okay. Um, and so we just tried to, because that's my background. Financial piece, that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah financial piece type, yeah. type training. Uh, it was just a one evening session, but I tried oh, really? to. Oh, really? Yeah, I just okay. tried to give them uh, an overview and take questions, and I think that was hopefully helpful to them. We've tried to reach out and partner with them in other ways. We've had, uh, I think, a bowling event uh, a year or so ago where we just had fellowship. Sure. Uh, downtown, a bowling event with, with the folks at Excess House. And they led worship here, well, the sermon, only about two weeks ago. Oh, so wow. Great. we're still involved with them on a regular basis. Um, so yeah, Exodus House is very important. I'm trying to think of others. I mean, we have graduations that are occasionally held here, mm -hmm. whether it's OU Medical School. In the past, it's been the Oklahoma City Police Academy, uh, I think has been here. So yeah, just, it's a great space in here. Yeah, there's just, a, there's just so much 
going on. Sure, yeah. So we'll get into the particulars of more of what's going on contemporarily, but I don't want to give the history of this church short shrift. Yeah. Is there anything else pertaining to the flavor or history of this church community that is important for people to know as they're looking at um, your current involvement in this legal battle with the conference? Well, I, mean, I think just the historic nature. I mean, people obviously recognize uh, the federal building bombing and all that was associated with that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you, like we mentioned earlier, 1889 was a long time ago. This, this church goes back to pre-statehood, yeah. to the land run. Yeah. Uh, we have the, some of the oldest bells in the nation on the corner of our property, and they just, just were restored and cleaned up back in 2016. Uh, we have one of the oldest pipe organs in the nation. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we've we've had that renovated recently as well. So just a lot of history and connection to the community. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's talk, we'll, we'll spend the rest of this interview mostly just trying to understand the mechanics of uh, First Church here has filed a protective order against the Oklahoma Annual Conference, sure. ostensibly because of a concern that they might utilize paragraph 2549 in the Book of Discipline yeah to declare exigent circumstances and seize the property and the, the financial resources of this community and essentially lock the doors on yeah. your community. Um, this is something that I've reported on with Fifth Avenue in North Carolina or yeah. Struthers in East Ohio. Yeah. It's something that's happening much more frequently than a lot, a lot of churches that go through mm -hmm. this just simply, well, most are not downtown um, privileged mm -hmm. churches like this. It's usually small rural churches, um, but with Fifth Avenue and then this property, the concern for a lot of people is uh, this has now turned into power politics. Sure. This is about money and property. Conferences do not want to lose prized properties. Uh, when you look at Oklahoma City, they've already lost St. Luke's, which was used mm -hmm. for assembling for annual conference. There's a very practical concern on their end for where are we going to get together? Well, and then mm -hmm. so they're, um, the, the fear is that they're positioning for a hostile takeover. How real has that felt to you and to the uh, community here? It's felt very real. Uh, we didn't ever think that would be a concern that mm -hmm. we would have. If you'd asked me a year ago, I'd say that's extremely unlikely. Mm -hmm. But because what has happened around the nation in North Carolina and Ohio, as you mentioned, uh, it's become very clear to us that this is a real tactic that is used in some cases by the UMC. And well, so and I don't know if you saw it. I got on the floor of this last annual conference. They were talking about how there are other means of disaffiliating. And I said, wait, there's only 2553. And, and the bishop himself cited paragraph 2549 yeah. and the exigent circumstances. It's something that he personally is clearly aware of and yeah. looking at the mechanics of whether or not he's thought about utilizing it in this particular case. Uh, neither one of us are mind readers. However, it does look like the groundwork has been laid in other conferences sure. for this potentially to happen in this conference. What they will say is, right. hey, that's them, we're not them. But uh, for people like me and you, it, it, there yeah. does seem to be a, a connection. Well, uh, and I usually think that too, about <laughs> this conference in particular, that it was more traditional minded and were more open to, uh, to working with mm -hmm. the churches. But I no longer believe that. I've, I've changed that way of thinking. And part of the reason is they simply haven't followed the process. Yeah, we're, that's, the, that's the meat of this conversation that it's going to be easy to get bogged down on, but it's important just as a broad stroke. Uh, I've, I've talked to a lot of conservative pastors that have been in this conference for a mm -hmm. long time, and they, like you and your leadership here, thought, hey, we can trust the leadership. Yeah. They're good faith relationship partners. 
Uh, we can count on the, the decades of cooperation yeah. and history that we've got here. And the place where I remember sitting in one pastor's office where he says, I guess I was just naive. I can't believe they're treating me like this. Yeah. Um, and and the, the feelings have been similarly shared here where you guys have come to the conclusion that the only option left is uh, engaging worldly courts because uh, things have just gotten too messed up, which is a very sad place to be yeah. in. Yeah, we just didn't think we had any other choice. Yeah. Uh, we started this process. Well, I, I think I gave a, a, a quick presentation to the congregation in May of 2022 mm -hmm. about the possibility that we would need to evaluate disaffiliation. Not that we were choosing that route, but we just wanted to consider it. Yeah, more than a year ago now. Yeah, yeah. so it's been over a year, and we went through a time of prayer and discernment, mm -hmm. numerous prayer meetings, uh, and it's very painful for any church to go through this process because you've raised your kids here, you've baptized your kids, you've had marriages here. Yeah. There's a lot of history and sentimental value that goes into that, and so people are very attached to the church, and they put in so much effort right. for ministry over the years. And so, yeah, how many thousands of dollars do you think you guys have given to the Oklahoma Annual Conference over the years? Oh, I, I, I can't really tell you. I would say it's in the millions. Right. Um, but I don't know. So for when sure. you when you have this long term relation, I mean, of course, when you're talking about marriages, funerals, baptisms, all that has been in this building, in this local church. But even so, it's been under the banner of the cross and flame. The, you've been sending apportionments yeah. to them. I'm sure there have been benefit. I, I'm sure it's been a two way street in some regard. But when you're looking at ending that, of course, that is yeah. uh, an emotionally heavy thing to consider. Sure. And it's been that way since 1968 when uh, technically that's when we joined the United Methodist right. Church. Yeah, when that denomination uh, was formed. But when we first came about in 1889, we were part of the Methodist Episcopal Church. Right. 1939, there were three branches of Methodism that came together. Right. And uh, we became first Methodist Church. Yeah. And then the United was added in 1968 when, yeah, there was another combination of the EUB yeah. and the MEC yes. and, uh, yeah, fun history there. And you guys have been there throughout all of it with, right. and then do y'all have clarity, just this is not connected to the larger conversation, but provided that you make it out, mm -hmm. do you already hear people making sure this is still going to be a Methodist church? This is, we're going to maintain Methodist theology in this body. Is there clarity about that here? Yeah, we've already had those conversations. Okay. We fully intend to keep to our Wesleyan heritage. Very good. Uh, what form that's exactly going to look like, mm -hmm. we haven't made that decision yet, Right. Uh, but we have no plan to stray from that. That's neat. I, I'm, I'm uh, very in love with the dream of what Wesleyanism was and could be today, so I love hearing about uh, churches with this much history and this much uh, you know, you probably don't have as much muscle as a church as once upon a time you did. We were talking before we turned the cameras on this uh, long drawn out uh, foot dragging process that the conference has had towards your church has been very demoralizing yeah. and has really sapped you all of a lot of strength. Um, but even so, you know, to have a, a church that does have the heritage and the strength that you guys do is still committed to Wesleyanism is, is, is quite a blessing. I'm glad mm -hmm. to hear that. Let's talk about the particulars of this church, of course, mm -hmm. um, when you look at the denomination, the United Methodist Church, we had our once and for all bang out special called General Conference in 2019, where yep. it was decided that the denomination would stick with a conservative traditional sexual ethic. Sure. Those on the other side that lost refused to leave and entered a state of open ecclesiastical dis disobedience, rebellion, at which time um, we needed a general conference to meet in 2020 yeah. to figure out what to do and COVID came 
it was canceled, not canceled, it was postponed. Right. 2021 came, it was postponed again. Mm. Then, um, thanks to the reporting of John, uh, Joe DiPaolo, we learned that the Commission on General Conference uh, canceled, uh, postponed until 2024 without even having the conversation. The institution yeah. decided it was for their benefit not to have general conference until conservatives were so fed up that they would leave. So the protocol was written to try and have an amicable mm -hmm. separation, but the, the lead author yeah. of that died. A lot of the, the left-leaning voices that supported it backed off, and now we find ourselves in this prolonged sure. Um, disaffiliation period before yeah. the whole provision 2553 expires yeah. at the end of this year so your church has had good leadership all the way along who stayed informed and kept the congregation informed yeah. but even so you've been a little bit later in the game than some who made it out in October last year mm -hmm. you were aiming to get out with my wave that got out in March April May whenever that was earlier this year but <clears throat> An interesting development happened. I remember an email got circulated. I want to say it was in February of this year with a letter from your DS. What did that letter say? Was it February? I think you were probably referring to the January notice, the okay. canceling January. our vote. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's when, I, when this church first came on my radar. A lot of us knew that this was yeah. a conservative congregation, but we didn't know why you weren't at the forefront of, of those leading the way out. Was there anything before they postponed your vote that had transpired that kind of gave you guys a hint that the conference might not be willing to let you leave? I mean, I don't know specifically. Uh, looking back, we probably would have been better and wiser to go in the October cycle. Mm -hmm. There was some conversation about that. But again, the, the, the church wanted to go through this time of discernment and prayer. And I appreciate the fact that they're trying to seek the Lord's will and make sure we're, we're centered with that. Right. And so it wasn't until... Uh, and, and they also wanted to make sure that we were focused on Advent. Oh, sure. They didn't yeah. want to have this big thing discussion in, in Advent. They wanted to get that behind us, and then we would turn to disaffiliation. Mm -hmm. So it was in November that we actually sent through the final, the first request to the DS and said, can you please schedule a vote for us? And we suggested a couple of Sundays in the very first part of January, as soon as Advent was over. And their initial response was, I don't think they were excited, but they said, yeah, well, we will schedule a vote for you. Your Sundays don't work, um, but January 22nd will work. And so I think that email was probably back in December. Mm -hmm. And then we got an official notice, I think, from the DS early January, around January 12th. It said, yes, definitely the, the conference is scheduled, is planned. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen on January 22nd. And so... You know, there's a lot of turmoil about just having to go through this whole process and the vote. That's enough stress. But we get five days within the vote. And on January 17th, we get this mysterious email, uh, I think at 11 o'clock at night, that says your vote is, is oh, that's postponed. Right. It was, yeah, it was late at night when yeah, the Senate. No, no real significant explanation. So the next morning, our pastor and our administrative council chair are on the, the phone and shooting emails back and forth trying to figure out what's what's going on. I don't know that we ever got a really clear answer. Mm -hmm. The only thing they would come back and say, well, we're going to, we're going to invoke a viability study. You need to do that first. Yeah. Well, again, 2553 does not, if you look at the pure 2553 paragraph in the book yeah. of discipline, it, there's nowhere in there that it references a viability study. No, I think it's in point four where it says a board of trustees can add such means as it sees fit. I forget right. the exact language. I right. and, but, it, but it's supposed to be standardized. And, yes. then, and then it goes to the disaffiliation agreement that was written by the Conference Board of Trustees, I believe. Well, I, th I think I was walking through it just the other day. There was GCFNA, 
the general board of uh, Gen general council of finance and administration was supposed to come up with a standard mm -hmm. program that's adopted by each annual conference which that would be the place where it is but that's not what happened rather no. the annual conference well and to be fair it's not just this annual conference many conferences sure. have decided to add on any number of um, uh, hurdles yeah. in the process for churches from uh, uh, simple uh, yeah. healthcare um, yeah. stipend to um, Baltimore, Washington, or CalPAC added 50% property sure. value of the church. And so, you know, we don't have that, but to add a viability study, that was sure. a new development. I don't think any yeah. other churches were asked to do that at that point in our conference. And I'm not sure yeah. any have been asked to since then. I know they've so, said that others have. So while we would argue that Again, 2553 does not reference a viability study. Right. If you turn to the disaffiliation agreement, yeah. as it's written. Uh, the conferences. The conferences, yeah. the Oklahoma conferences, disaffiliation agreement. It says in there that they can request a viability study be mm -hmm. done, but only if they do so before the vote is scheduled. They did, Interesting. Not, they did not do that. Okay. They canceled ours within, inside of five days. Yeah. So we felt like that was, there's some ulterior motive. Why are they trying to prevent us from leaving and disaffiliating? Yeah. So. And so at that point, they didn't communicate with the pastor or the congregation in any capacity about what that study, viability study is or a timeline or anything like that? They, they sent us some information about a viability study and said, we're, we'll provide you a timeline by such and such date. I don't remember exactly when it was. I think mm -hmm. it was February something. Yeah. Uh, that didn't happen. They missed that date. Okay, so they, they gave a deadline right off the bat. Right. You're going to have enough information at this point. They right. did not meet their own deadline. Correct. Okay. And then we went ahead and they finally scheduled the first meeting. They sent us the viability document that was laid out by the... Yeah, let's talk about the viability document. Is mm -hmm. this a public document or is uh, this something that's been kept private? I assume that um, it's the same standard document, so I don't know... Well, is, so to my fine. knowledge, I'm trying to figure out what this document is, who authored it. Do you know who authored it? I don't, no. I, in fact, I asked uh, recently, I don't know who authored it or when it was written, that type of thing. So I don't so know. So there's, no, there's nothing on the document indicating who authored it, when it was published, if it's published. Yeah, not that I recall. It is a conference document, so I assume it's public, but I, I don't know I, I was, I was, I haven't seen the document myself. I was told by a person who saw it that the conference's name on it, it seems reasonable to assume that mm -hmm. the viability study was authored by the conference. I would think so, yes. So in that case, the, the conference is mandating that in order to get out, there's not an objective third party that has determined what viability looks like. Rather, they themselves are the arbiters of if you're vital or not. That's absolutely right. And so in this, this, this language, this agreement that they gave you, did they have a timeline in that agreement as to what, what things should happen and what order, how long it should take? There's supposed to be three meetings that would take place. Over at, a certain, over like... An undefined period of time. Okay, so that period wasn't... So was it right? I know we, one of the things feared was that they would create a mm -hmm. system that would take too long. Yeah and you wouldn't be out before the end of the year. So we were concerned about that because okay. 2553 sunsets this year. Right. And so we said we would love to be able to vote, go ahead and have our vote by the May-June time period. Uh -huh. So let's, let's get this viability study moving. Yes. Had the first meeting, they were supposed to schedule a second meeting. They did never schedule the second meeting. And you know, even though they talked about doing it, they gave us numerous emails that said, 
you know, it's, it's taking longer than what we thought, and they postponed them. And then they, we tried to continue to push them on the viability study and ask questions about, are you going to let us vote in the mm -hmm. May-June time period? Frequently, we would, we would not get a response, uh, just silence, which is not a warm, fuzzy feeling when you're going through this process and you can already see that they're violating the, so the book of discipline. So as you guys are reaching out to them, are you reaching out to the bishop directly or is there someone that they've told you yeah. is heading up this study? Or? So, so primarily to the DS. Okay. And then after that, we started conf uh, copying Bishop Nunn. Okay. And we asked for some time with him, which, by the way, he did grant us some time. He came to the church in March uh, and spent an evening, I think on a Wednesday night, uh, to try to alleviate some of the fears and concerns. Was he good at that? Well, I don't... Were you there it, for that? I, I actually was not there. I was okay. out of town for that okay. particular meeting. I've seen it on video. Okay. Uh, I don't think they did a great job of answering questions. The congregation felt after that session that, well, we're glad you came, but you didn't really answer the questions that we had for you, like why are we being forced to this viability study? Um, What's the next step? Are you going to let us vote? We did not get any clear answers to that session. I was so session. around this same time, Bixby was also trying to hold a disaffiliation mm -hmm. vote, and the the conference also held them up and said, "We're not going to let you vote until you let the bishop come speak to you." Mm -hmm. So you don't you didn't know about this? So no, I didn't yeah, know he came and he spoke. And before that point, there was some, you know, we don't know if we want to, but apparently after the bishop spoke, the congregation got very clear, we want to leave. Yeah. And so I've, I've thought it odd that the conference insists on Bishop Nunn speaking to local congregations when it seems to have the yeah. opposite effect that, that they ostensibly yeah. want it to. But he came here, he spoke to this congregation, and that's to his credit, he made yep. himself available yeah. to everybody. He did. But even so, he didn't manage to effectively uh, dissipate anxieties and concerns about no. the conference uh, being strange in its behavior. So, so you corresponded as a, a congregation with your DS, his name's Vance, right? Uh, Victor McCullough. Victor. I, was, ah, I like Victor. I like him. Um, yeah. But even so, you're saying that when you corresponded with him, there were times where he did not answer or went long periods of not answering. Yeah, or they, they tried to assign a viability study point person on there. Yeah, that's end. what I wondered about. Was there somebody that was like a... The yeah, they had, they had trouble finding someone initially. Uh, I think Craig Stinson was eventually the person that was named in that capacity. Uh, probably led the first meeting. But again, we, we tried to contact him as well, and he would respond by email. But again, delay, 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 missed deadlines, lack of communication. And so we get all the way to May. And by, by May, we're realizing, well, it's May. We're not going to get the vote in May. Right. We're going to have to do something different. And so on May 16th, we sent a demand letter to the conference and told them, you must schedule a vote. You're in violation of the Book of Discipline. There's a 120-day rule that is in place. So once the uh, DS calls for a charge conference or a church conference, it has to happen within 120 days. And, and this is explicit language from paragraph 2553, right? I'd look, I have to look and see exactly which paragraph it is. It's, I'm not sure off the top of my head. But, but if we're talking about a church vote, okay, it could be that or paragraph 248, um, yeah. I think, that stipulates how a church conference is to be held when the entire membership is to be voted. But, voted. but the language is very clear. It's 120 days, and the DS can call for the conference initially or the church can call for the conference. We called for the conference back yeah. in November. Yeah, the board can call for it or 10% yeah. of the voting member or yeah. active membership. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was reading language. this recently, yeah. 
And so we gave them the demand letter. We basically sent that on May 16th. We gave them until May 19th, which is a short time, but I think it was a Friday. No response, not one word to even say whether or not they'd received the document. We know they got it, but still no response. And we didn't actually file, file our lawsuit until June 1st. So technically they had between May 16th and June 1st to try to respond and prevent litigation. So um, there was a point person assigned. There was a process that was spelled out, laid out with a certain number of meetings that had an undefined mm -hmm. timeline, but even so, um, did they, for their part, make good on the plan that they gave you so far as timeline and steps? Did they go through all the steps with the congregation? For the viability study? Yeah. Absolutely not. Okay, me so me how many meetings were there, there supposed, supposed to be? There were supposed to be three. And how many you had? One. One. So there were supposed to be three meetings. There was only one meeting after which y'all followed up and said, hey, let's have the second meeting. Yep. And they didn't respond. Yeah, or they said, we're going to get it scheduled, but it didn't get happened, or it got delayed, or then there'd be period, long periods of, of no response. And so, yeah, meeting number two, for whatever reason, never happened. So the thing that, the reflection I have as I hear all this is, we're talking about multi-million dollar properties. We're talking about people whose salaries are six figures. We're talking about people who wear suits to work, white collar jobs, master's degrees, this is a professional, this is not, I mean, I know we're in Oklahoma, but mm -hmm. this is not some hick operation. This is a professional sure. body that we're dealing with, not, ju not just in this church, but in the annual conference. Yeah. But it sounds to me as though they're writing the rules as they go along. They're making up the rules as yeah. they're writing their own viability study that they aren't even abiding by. They're missing their own deadlines and yeah. then they're not responding when you're trying to go through the process earnestly with them. Correct. All of that sounds right to you? That sounds exactly right. Even though we didn't feel like we should be going through a viability study, we tried to participate yeah. and they just not, did not reciprocate. So, so the, the only options available to a church in your situation is just continue to petition and hope that yep. one day they will come through mm -hmm. or to try and force their hand by getting other parties involved. Right, and so since they wouldn't have conversation with us, wouldn't mm -hmm. respond to the demand letter, that's when the fears really went up. Well, they really may be planning to close us behind the scenes. So um, yeah, there are two options. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna present another one to you because mm -hmm. it, it does seem clear to me that they are not interested in letting this property go. Right. But as to how heavy handed they are about it, I'm not sure what they're willing to do. Sure. So one option is to do the heavy-handed thing that has happened in a few other places where they declare exigent circumstances. They say this is not a viable congregation. You know, when, when paragraph 2549 has language explicitly pointing to a church's viability sure. or when it no longer serves a purpose for which it was intended, you can declare exigent circumstances and there is no mediating. They can do that anytime yeah. they want. Yep, so hypothetically, right. they could do the heavy-handed thing or they could put you guys through a viability study and let you take your vote but then come to the next annual conference in October, which has all the sympathetic conservatives yep. now gone and say, right. first church has voted to leave. However, we've put them through this viability study. It seems to us mm -hmm. that they're not particularly viable. We think that we could do much more good yep. in the context of downtown Oklahoma City yeah. than this small congregation and its limited abilities have. We would actually advocate for the conference not to ratify their disaffiliation yeah. and let's plant a new church there or sure. let's put new leadership in there where we align them with 
our missional goals and objectives. That seems much more likely yeah. to me where they don't do a hostile takeover sure. per se, they just say, no, we're not going to let you go, yeah. and you're staying indefinitely, and we're, we are going to take a lot of the reins of power here. So we don't know what their actual intent is because mm -hmm. they won't talk to us about that specifically. Uh, you're right, 2549 is kind of the heavy-handed method, but if you read 2549, it has all the steps you're supposed to go through, but you get about halfway through the document and it says, if the conference decides not to follow these steps, it doesn't matter. Right. It's yeah. their, their choice to do whatever right. they want. Yeah. So that's one option. So whether they want to actually take over the building or whether they just want to control the building, either way, we believe they're, they're aiming for the property. That's why we view this as a property dispute, not a theological dispute. This is not an ecclesiastical matter. This is a property dispute because we have a contract with them that allows us in 2553 to disaffiliate as long as we can do it this year. There shouldn't be any other, the DS doesn't have the right to prevent our vote and prevent us from disaffiliating and keeping our property. Yeah, as you use that word right, that's a word used in paragraph 2553, which says that local congregations like this one have a limited right yes. to disaffiliate in this, in this period of time, as long as it abides by the right. bare minimum requirements of, of the conference. So what, what do you do when the conference um, provides a series of hoops to jump through that it in, itself does not right. abide by? Um, the only yeah. other options I'm thinking were available to your congregation was to open up all of this to all of the conference churches and air our dirty laundry publicly yeah. for other churches to comment on and, and um, uh, inter intervene yeah. on your behalf. I kind of wish that had taken place, to sure. be honest with you. I get frustrated with a lot of churches deciding to do things their own way behind closed doors. And I would have liked it if other churches had had a chance to advocate for you guys. Is that a conversation to your knowledge that ever seriously happened here or did it just become clear they're not going to work with us, we're going to have to go to, to court? Well, I think it became clear that they're not going to work with us. Yeah. There is a process in place. They're not following the process, therefore they're breaching the contract. They're yeah. breaching their fiduciary relationship with us mm -hmm. because they have a, a fiduciary duty to make sure that we are have the rights availed to us by the Book of Discipline. Yeah. And so we just felt like we don't have time for this. I mean, October is basically our sunset. Yeah. And there's dates leading up to that that you have to get all your ducks in a row, so to speak, so that you can be in line for the October ratification process. Yeah, so is the hope that as you guys are now bringing them to a state judge, it is a state court, right? It's yeah. A, yeah. That as you bring them before this court, that the court mandates mm -hmm. the viability study is moot, Yep. No more of that. Let them through 2553 so that they can get to October. Or are you trying to just say, so, hey, they've been bad arbiters of their own plan. We can't trust them to do it. We just need to be excused altogether. What's, what's the ideal that you're going so for? So the ideal outcome for us is yeah. to be treated as if we were disaffiliated in the April ratification process. Okay. Because that is the only way that you can keep First Church whole. And a lot of that has to do with the voting delegates. As you mentioned, the voting delegates... I think in this past cycle it was about 70 plus percent mm -hmm. um, approved the disaffiliation of the 55 churches that were grouped together and went through that process. Yeah. So 70 something percent. If you go back to October with the first 29, it was over 90. Right. So as these delegates, conservative delegates move away, that mm -hmm. percentage gets lower and lower with each cycle. Right. We have no idea what the percentage is going to be. It's going to be much closer. In, we know that. Yeah. yeah. In, in October. And so because they breached the Book of Discipline, because they didn't allow us to hold the vote as we should have been allowed yeah. to, because they've tried to 
to, to force us through a viability study which we should not have had to participate based on their own terms of the disaffiliation agreement. It had to be requested before the vote was scheduled. It was not. Yeah. Um, we believe the only way to keep us whole is for the court to deem us disaffiliated as of April. Now, we realize we still have to pay the exit fee. We have to go through that process. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's the best way to keep us whole. The other al alternative for us is, well, at least put us in the cycle. Yeah. You know, if, worst case scenario, let's, we'll go to October. And hopefully by people hearing our story yeah. uh, and knowing our heart and our desire not to be, not to hold animosity against anyone, we just want to do what we think the Lord wants us to do at the corner of 4th and Robinson. We just want to be treated like the 84 churches that were allowed to disaffiliate right. to date, um, but we're not being allowed to do so. Yeah, yeah. In God's eyes, your church might be the same as all others, but in the conference's eyes, you're sitting on some very valuable yeah. real estate here, buddy. So you need to be treated differently. Um, that is me, of course, pretending that I'm a mind reader. Maybe there are other yeah. factors at play, but it's hard to see what, what the difference would be I mean, if they make the case, hey, uh, they've been in declining mm -hmm. attendance. Well, who hasn't been? I was looking at Church yeah. of the Resurrection, our flagship church in the denomination. They're like half the size they were 10 years ago. Yeah. Every church, with very few exceptions, has been in decline. If they want to say, hey, they're not engaging their, their uh, missional community enough, well, okay, maybe y'all could do more, but yeah. there are certainly churches well, that have gotten out that do less. So the YMCA? Yeah. The daycare? Exodus House. Yeah. We reach out to the homeless community over the years. Yeah. Um, they can say we're not reaching out to our community, but we clearly are. Yeah. Well, and just to say, hey, we'll let these other churches go that are not perfect in this yeah. area as well, but we're going to hold this one to a harder line. Why? Well, and I just want to say 2553, there's not a caveat that says, oh, if your church property is worth a certain amount, you yeah. know, $10,000, you can do what you want, but if it's worth millions of dollars, yeah then this, uh, we have a whole new process for yeah, you. That's no, it. no, it's a standard process that should apply to everyone equally. And it sunsets at the end of the year and we would like to be availed our rights. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So a lot of churches are dealing with similar frustrations in many other annual conferences. Yeah. They're not going public the way that you are. You know, uh, with my channel, uh, the average thing we put out gets 2,500 views in a, mm -hmm. in a week. This is gonna get a lot of attention from people. Why? What, what, what calculus have you, has your church done that is different from other churches that says, no, we need to go public on this. We yeah. need people to know about it. Why have you chosen to do this in the open rather yeah. than behind closed doors like so many? Well, because we believe it's obvious to us that the, the denomination or the conference is not gonna follow their process. Mm -hmm. And so the only way to put that in the light is to make it more public and to show other churches that they're not following their process, they're not treating us fairly and if we didn't get our side of the story out, we felt like they would probably just bury it. And typically people have a, a desire, they trust their leaders, their mm -hmm. conference leaders, and they've known these leaders for years. And um, we've gotten to the point where we no longer have that trust and felt like going public was the best option for, for us. Plus, I, I personally would like for other churches that are going through this consideration process, 2553 applies to them too. They have the rest of this year to get that done. And so they need to consider uh, what's the best answer for them. Yeah. Well, I certainly hope that talking to me doesn't, doesn't harm you or your church in any way. Um, the, 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 the things that I've already heard the conference say that I know they will continue to say 
in the face of this critique is we are not a congregational system. This is a connectional system. So even if a local congregation doesn't want to belong to us anymore, mm -hmm. we have a larger mission that we need to leverage mm -hmm. what we currently have to meet. And they can very easily say this is not about money or real estate. This is about reaching people for Christ Jesus. Yeah. And this is in downtown Oklahoma City where there are a lot of people in reach. Yeah. And so one of the things that I think is important to say publicly is there are many church plants done by the Oklahoma Conference over the last few years that were supposed sure. to target people. Mm -hmm. And it's worth asking, would they really do a better job than y'all are currently doing? I, sure. I see a lot of reasons to say there is no reason to be hopeful that Oklahoma Annual Conference right. would do better than y'all. But secondly, th there's a huge lack of discernment right now on the part of institutional leaders. What you're looking at in the end is withholding local churches Mm -hmm. that want to leave. You're standing between them and the door. And that is a morally reprehensible place to be. Yeah. And you can dress it up with whatever kind of language you want, but at the end of the day, you are coercing people into a relationship they don't want to be in. Right. And that's a really sad place to be emotionally. Yeah. I really feel sorry for the conference leadership as they put themselves in this position. And why would you want to do that? I mean, for this church not to be allowed to disaffiliate and leave would be devastating. 75% of our congregation voted in our informal vote that we were forced to have back in the first week of February uh, to leave. So we already know what the, the mindset of the congregation is. Mm -hmm. Why force us through that process? 2553 clearly gives you the right to leave with your property only this year. Well, I hope it happens for you. I sure am sorry for uh, the heartache and the confusion of the last year. And I'm sure that people on all sides have good intentions, but it really does seem as you walk through these is, is there anything that you've portrayed that you think people on the other side will listen to and go, that's not right, that's not fair, or to, to the best of your ability, have you rendered things in a dispassionate way that you think any objective observer would, would see it how you presented it here? I think so, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I, I prayed this morning before I came in here that you know I would just be in line with God's will. Yeah. All I wanna do is tell the story uh, in a fair and honest manner. Uh, don't wanna disparage anybody like I said, we don't have any animosity. We just want to be allowed to leave, to disaffiliate, and to keep our property with us. That's our right. That's entitled to us by the Book of Discipline. Mm -hmm. And we'd love to get back to, to focusing on ministry. It's difficult for a church to put this much effort and time and money into disaffiliation when, hey, don't forget, our real focus is sharing the gospel. Right. Our yeah. real focus is uh, transforming lives and yeah. introducing people to Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Yeah. And it's taking away this whole effort and the conference not being willing to work with us and be fair with us is taking away from our efforts to, to reach others for Christ. Are you guys made of money or? The, we, you're not. You're not. So am I right to infer that maybe it would be good for, for other churches or people that are interested in, in your case getting a fair hearing? Uh, is there a legal fund or something? that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, we do have a legal fund that we set up uh, this past week okay. to try to help us through this process. Obviously, we didn't want to go the route of litigation and attorneys are, are expensive. We have a couple of attorneys that are helping us walk through this process and they have been great. Okay, um, great. But at the same time, it's expensive. And so most of our money, if you want to call it that, is tied up in the building itself. It's a property value number. Sure. Yeah. It's not just cash in the bank. Yeah. And so to help us with this legal fund, we set it up in, in such a way that all the money that comes into that fund is used solely to offset the cost of litigation. And then if there's any money left over, at the, once we get through all this litigation mess, 
that will be donated to the Wesley Covenant Association, the Oklahoma chapter, oh, cool. to, to try to help other churches through the same disaffiliation process. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in a, in a perfect world, <clears throat> the, it wouldn't be needed. Right. But as it is, the conversation's gotten so muddled that sometimes there needs to be yeah. some money that's put in the right place right. to help. And I'd, I'd probably be remiss if I didn't tell you the website. So if people want to give and donate yeah. to that legal fund, yeah. they can just go to firstchurchokc.com. That's firstchurchokc.com. And there's a tab there for give, and there's a, a place that you can select the legal fund. That'll get the funds to us quickly. Okay. Or obviously they can just send a, a check to sure. the, the church, 131 Northwest 4th Street, Oklahoma City, 73102. Okay. And by doing that, um, just make sure you, you flag it in the memo what it's for, right. and we will make sure that it gets used for lit for litigation and to help other churches. Right on. Well, we'll put for our part, we'll put a, a link to the giving on the oh, the, the show notes to what we do. So, um, any other information that you think, if if anybody spent this much mm -hmm. time with us, any other helpful stuff to to pass along to any viewers? Well, I, one of the things that always comes to my mind is, and I told you about the walk, the prayer walk we had when we came back into this building and we had our first service right here on this, this stage. And Pastor Nick Harris got up and we sang on holy ground. And at the end of that, uh, Pastor Harris came and made a passionate plea, said, you are standing on holy ground. Mm. It actually makes me uh, a little bit emotional when I, when I think about that phrase. I can just feel the Spirit moving because we believe that the Holy Spirit is still here. This is holy ground, and we just want to get back uh, to the ministry of the church. Well, to that end, let us pray. Okay. Father, uh, I thank you for Hardy and his leadership in this local church. I thank you for this local church's leadership in the community of Oklahoma City, this downtown area that mm -hmm. needs the light of Christ Jesus. And uh, they've been going through a prolonged period of anxiety and trial, Father, and we pray that you would bring about an end to this this time. Yeah. We pray that your will would be done um, and that you would give Hardy and the leaders here um, the discernment to know where it is that you want them to go. We also ask your uh, spirits rest heavily upon conference leaders and officials such okay. that um, this process can come to a, a quick end, that no more lit litigation is even needed, yes. but that people of good conscience can work together uh, for your glory. Uh, we mourn the state of the United Methodist Church, Father, uh, something that I've, I've personally shaken loose of, but that so many uh, thousands or millions of people are still wanting out and, and not able to be. So we pray, Father, for uh, your redemptive hand to be upon that body and that you would uh, work powerfully in the UMC over the next months as churches discern their place. Father, uh, regardless of how things turn out here, you are a good and loving God and you are in control and we have so much to be thankful for. So we glorify your holy name and we ask, Father, that regardless of denominational uh, affiliation or our, our location in any building, that you would build us into a strong edifice for your glory until Christ comes again. We ask these things in his holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Hardy. Yeah, thank you.